So there's fear of success and there's fear of failure and both of them are often like, you know, as big as each other. And I mean, I still feel it because what happens is, you know, a lot of the work that I've done over the years, these the little voices come in and it's like, you're not good enough, you know, you're an imposter, um, you have no idea what you're doing. Like, but what I would say is this, everyone did something for the first time at some point. Hi guys, Anna, welcome back to the Rage Active podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is the founder and CEO of The Collective Hub. She's an international speaker, best-selling author of books like Daring and Disruptive, Life and Love, Plus Money and Mindfulness, and so many more. She's also a contributor to the Huffington Post and has been featured in publications such as Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, Marie Claire, Sunday Life, and many more. Welcome to the show, Lisa Messenger. Thank you, Rachel. It is so beautiful to be here with you. It's so lovely to be here with you. And I'm so excited for this chat because to be honest, I mean, I have been following your work for such a long time and it's been almost 10 years since you founded The Collective Hub. So it's like, holy crap, it's been such a long time and there's been so many iterations of it that it's, <laughs> I'm so excited to, to get stuck into it with you today. Um, Thank you. There is one thing that I do want to talk to you about first because there's a, um, there's a really interesting story of yours that I read and um, so I'm, I'm keen to get stuck into it. In your book, Purpose, you talk about this moment of experiencing your own funeral, oh, which yeah. <laughs> I feel like is something that not everybody has really gone through. So can you share a little bit more about this particular story? It, it was a really confronting experience for you. So I'm, I'm so keen to hear more about it. I love that we're cutting straight into the chase. <laughs> straight into it because this is like a really pivotal moment that happened, I think. And this was before Collective Hub started. So Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, Collective Hub started in 2013. I actually started my first business um, on the 22nd of October 2001. But this particular moment happened in 2004. Um, and I've done various iterations of this over the years. So um, I did. This is a very powerful, powerful and weird exercise for people. <laughs> but, um, I actually, at a course that I went to, uh, I was instructed to imagine my own funeral. And there was a whole lot of kind of cathartic writing beforehand around, you know, what would your life look like, um, you know, if you went down the sort of dark road and things were terrible and what would happen at your funeral? Like what would people be saying? You know, what would your legacy be? And then the other side of it is, you know, if you actually lived a life on purpose and you stepped into your genius zone, what would people be saying then? So the next iteration of that was to actually go to a cemetery <laughs> and lie down beside or on a gravestone and um, and then like, and there's something very, very powerful around not only, you know, doing visioning exercises but doing the cathartic piece to go with it. So I did that and it was very strange at the time but probably one of the single most powerful things that I've ever done because I first imagined you know how horrible it was and what people were saying and then I imagined how I could turn my life around and what people would be saying afterwards and I got off that gravestone and I made a very conscious decision <laughs> to change my life in a lot of different ways so I'm happy to talk about what happened before and what happened after or wherever you want to go with this yeah well I am I'm so I mean firstly what an, an incredible experience I don't think I don't know anyone who has lay down on a gravestone to imagine what their funeral would be like. And I imagine it would be such a, um, one of those kind of breakthrough moments where you just, um, like you said, visioning is such a, a important practice and it can be really, really um, life-changing. So mm -hmm. like you said, what was going on for you just prior to you enrolling in this particular program? Because I imagine there might've been something that you're wanting to change perhaps in your life or explore something further. 
A lot. Um, so this was 2004. So um, before then, I was drinking like really heavily. Um, I'd been suicidal for a lot of years. Like there was a lot of really dark stuff. Um, I was married to a guy I had nothing in common with. I hadn't spoken to my mum, dad or my sister for three years. Anyway, you get the picture. My wow, yeah. A train smash. And um, so I started kind of doing work on myself. So after that experience, I um, I ended up giving up drinking. So I haven't drunk for 17 and a half years. Um, Amazing. Yes. Yeah, Congratulations as well. November, thank you. Since the 8th of November 2004, to be precise. <laughs> um, I healed my relationships um, with my mum, my sister and my dad, and they became some of the most, you know, incredible, close, in- amazing relationships that I've ever had. Um, I left the guy I was married to. I now have a beautiful fiancé who I've been with for five and a half years. And what else? And my business just exploded so I really I mean there was sort of that event but you know a number of other things and I started kind of doing work on myself and so yeah I feel like so many of my books and so much of what I speak about is really you know that we all have an opportunity when we're crossroads or you know we're faced with adversity and things like if we allow ourselves to dig deep enough and understand the triggers and the trauma and the pain and actually be courageous enough to work through that, then really incredible things can happen. <laughs> yeah, and you're a living example of that. It's it's so incredible to hear just how many things changed for you um, around that time. And I guess, you know, another, another piece that you sort of talk about is this whole idea that anything is possible and anyone can change and evolve their situation. And obviously that's what you have, you had done at that time. Um, and it's one of your sort of key philosophies around your, your purpose. Um, and, you know, to sort of challenge people to, to change their way of thinking. Um, I think, you know, we've all sort of heard this concept of about finding your purpose or finding your why. Um, but for people who are listening, who maybe haven't quite figured it out yet, who don't really know what their purpose in life is, what is your take on that? What are your best suggestions for how someone might start to discover what their purpose actually is? Yeah, so I'm going to break it down into three kind of easy points, but I also wrote a book in 2017 called Purpose and then I brought it out again as a mini book um, a couple of years ago. So they're like, you know, good to kind of go through if you want to kind of really unpack it. But the simplest things are this because I know it's like a massive thing and, you know, anyway, so I basically (laughs) go like this. Um, Firstly, start to think about what excites you, what makes you want to jump out of bed every morning. When do you feel most alive and when do you feel most in flow? And by that I mean like things just become easy even when they're kind of maybe difficult. So that's number one. Number two is start to listen to what other people say around you. So that the first one is for internal validation. The second one is that external validation thing. So if people start saying, great, you're an amazing connector or wow, you're really great at baking or whatever the things <laughs> are that you're really great at, just start to listen to that. And then you might go, okay, I really love that. And people kind of say, I'm really great at that. And then the third piece, if you want to turn it into a business as opposed to just a hobby is is there some kind of commercial opportunity here, i.e., is there a market? Are there people willing to buy what it is that, you know, number one and two say? And, you know, am I willing and ready to give this a red-hot crack? So, yeah, so that's that's kind of breaking it down really simply. But in the books, I go through lots and lots of exercises to try and help unpack it in the way that I've learned to over the years. So, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I think those, they're, they're really great, just simple steps that you can do, guys listening. You can just grab a, p- a pen and paper out and, and write down and just, I think you need to give it time too, right? You need to set aside some time and really investigate those things about yourself. Um, yes. Pay and attention actually, to it. Pay attention. Yeah, time and space and attention. And the other thing is, I will say, because Rach, that was actually perfect saying time, is that I feel like so much of purpose comes from trying different things and also 
I think we underestimate the power of play. So what I mean by that is when you let yourself, so I purposely every day try and do something different to take me out of my comfort zone, be it something um, like I was at Barry's this morning, which is like, you know, Barry's boot camp, you kind of run and do crazy stuff. So I've just started that in the last few weeks, but um, I might like whatever it is, whether, whether it's exercise or business or even just going to a different suburb or walking a different way to your coffee shop, like trying to do things counterintuitive to your normal daily routines. And I feel like it's only through challenging ourselves and kind of flicking that switch a little bit that we can kind of go, oh, I actually really enjoy that. Like sometimes it trips something up um, in our neurons that kind of go, oh, I didn't realise I really enjoyed that. And that's how you'll start to kind of accidentally discover, you know, what you love, what your purpose is, what excites you, what you're good at. Mm, it's taking yourself out of your comfort zone and trying new things. I mean, what would you say to people though that, um, uh, because there's fear that comes along with that, right? Like when you're trying something new and you don't know how it's going to go, whatever it is, how would you say that you approach fear in, in that regard in terms of putting yourself in those situations? So there's fear of success and there's fear of failure and both of them are often like you know, mm. as big as each other. And I mean, I still feel it because what happens is, you know, a lot of the work that I've done over the years, these the little voices come in and it's like, you're not good enough. You know, you're an imposter. Um, you have no idea what you're doing. Like, but what I would say is this, everyone did something for the first time at some point. Do you know what I mean? So even though we look at other people and go, oh my God, they've got it together. Well, there was a point, and this is a very kind of sobering thought, there was a point in their life when they did not have that together either. Like everyone has to start somewhere and do the thing for the first time once. So I think that's really important to think about. And in terms of fear, I've trained myself. Here's another really simple exercise. I trained myself um, to go, it takes a little bit of training to get here, to go to like the worst case scenario in my head, but just really quickly. So I might go, I could lose all my money or I might go, you know, whatever the worst thing that could happen from that situation, I don't know, I could fall off the treadmill, <laughs> I don't know, whatever the thing happens <laughs> to me. But I like, I let myself go very quickly in my brain because often what keeps us fearful is fear of the unknown. So I let myself go to that worst case scenario, but then very quickly I reverse engineer it back to the current situation and I try and think about the steps to mitigate that risk. So if it's um, I'm going to invest in this business, then I go, oh, my, so worst case, oh, my God, I could lose everything. <laughs> so then I go backwards and I go, okay, well, who can help me? Well, my accountant or my bookkeeper, you know, to actually do the numbers and test that. Um I could talk to my friend, Rachel. I can, you know, I can do all these steps. And then it kind of makes me, and I do this very quickly, like 30 seconds to two minutes. And then I go, it's okay. Like even if the worst case scenario happens, I know the steps to follow to kind of help me to mitigate the risk. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's honestly, I feel like fear and being trapped and feeling small or self-sabotaging or all sorts of other reasons that we stop ourselves from just starting something is because we're fearful. And if we can kind of let ourselves feel the fear and then go, I got this. Okay. I know what to do. Then you just got to try, you know, and honestly, I fail every single day, but it's because I try a lot. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that so much. And I, you know, it's so true. We all, I mean, we all experience these moments of thinking, oh shit, what's going to happen? This is, you know, this could be the worst thing that ever happened. But yeah. I really love that process. It's an actionable thing that you can do, like you said, in a couple of minutes, just in your mind, reverse engineer what the worst case scenario is. What are the action steps that I can take to mitigate the damage of what that potentially could be? And or, I think it would, it helps instantly just relieve that, that fearful state, right? Because I definitely have done that too. And I really, really love that process. It's, it's such a tangible actionable thing to to apply to fear I really like that yeah and if you don't try then you are 100% guaranteed to fail do you know what I mean? like yeah. if you never try the thing you're going to fail because you haven't even tried so you cannot win so at least by trying you give yourself the opportunity to potentially win <laughs> yeah I like that and the framing it in that way is is so important to give yourself the, the opportunity to win and to mm. and to 
And who knows anyways, if even if something doesn't go the way that you planned, you know, usually there's something that you learn in the process anyways. You're going to learn or or you're going to have a great story to tell on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now let's cut to the moment you founded the Collective Hub because I think, I mean, this is, you know, back in 2013, almost 10 years ago, it was a space where you didn't really have any background in at the time and you really entered into the space and really disrupted the space with, it originally started as a print magazine. And so I am, I'm really interested for you to tell me about firstly, the moment you had the idea to start this new brand. And then obviously the process and decision to take the leap to, to starting a brand new publication in a space that you had no background in basically. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was nuts. And what's even more nuts is when you say nearly 10 years ago, like that's crazy. Yeah. so to answer your question, it was um, it was 2012. It was about I think April 2012. So I had had my business since 2001, and I was kind of like bored in my existing business. I couldn't, and also I couldn't kind of work out to scale how to scale, and I was comfortable. So I said to my marketing director at the time, Claire, who'd been with me I think about nine years at that time, I just said to her, oh. Do I just like pack up and, you know, go and live in Bali for a year and sing Kumbaya and sit on a rock (laughs) (laughs) or alas? Or, um, you know, do do we give something a red hot go? And I'd come up with this idea for a magazine, which was kind of crazy because, as you said, I'd never worked in print. I'd never worked in media, um, not, in, not, not in print. I'd been doing sort of books, but I'd never worked for the media. I didn't understand magazines. Like I didn't have any background in that whatsoever. So no credibility. And it was a highly saturated market. I think there was like five and a half thousand print mags in Australia alone at the time. And people said print was dead or dying. So like everything was stacked against me. And, um, and Claire said to me, let's do it, you know. And so <laughs> I came back and I I decided, okay, let's do this thing. Now, what I first did was probably Google how to start a magazine. <laughs> 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 I mean, I really had no idea. But what I would say is it's coming back to the, um, the importance of purpose is that I just knew in every single cell in my body, and again, this came from a pain point or a gap in the market, I was frustrated because I'd had my own business for, you know, that period of time already. I was kind of surrounded by some pretty amazing entrepreneurs and innovators and thought leaders, and I felt like their stories weren't really being told in the media. I felt like people were often not asking great questions like you. People would just ask like a lot of the surface level stuff. And so I was always left asking, but how, but how, but why, but why? Like, how did they start that? How did they fund that? How did they, you know, find a factory to produce that? How much money did that cost? So I, as a business owner, was always asking that. So I was like, okay, this is really frustrating. What I'm going to do is I'm going to interview everyone that I know and I'm going to put them all into a format together. So that's really how the idea for the print magazine started and probably a bit of, well, a lot of naivety and a lot of things, but I didn't really understand the digital space at the time. So that's probably why I was just like, oh, well, print seems easy. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the beautiful thing is when you're just so passionate and so on purpose, like I was just like, I just knew in every single cell in my body, I've just got to tell these people's stories and I've got to inspire and educate and like lift the hood off this and like show people what's possible in business. Once I felt so strongly about that, I often say this, the serendipity and the synchronicity and what it attracted was extraordinary. Like suddenly people just started like coming out of the woodwork and being like, can I help you? Can I help you? And I think that's the thing, right? Once we get really clear on what it is that we want to do, I often say, you know, once you know your why, the how takes care of itself. Somehow it just happens and you've just got to trust. Um, and it was a freaking lot of hard work and hustle and grind. <laughs> but the print mag um, ended up being in 37 countries within 18 months. And I had people like Anna Wintour inviting me to go meet with her in New York. And it just like got kind of enormous very, very quickly. It's amazing. I think, you know, I've, I've heard the story and I just feel that it's so inspiring to hear that you just kind of, you know, took the leap entered a space, disrupted it pretty much and found a gap there. Also, like you just mentioned earlier, is 
honing in on your purpose, but then also if you do want to start a business with it is finding where your purpose serves, serves people. And there, there's a, there's a kind of, if anyone's seen those um, diagrams with the circles where the two meet in the middle, and that's really where your business, I guess, um, begins is your purpose meeting the needs of other people, right? Absolutely. And, you know, often people say, oh, it's such a saturated market, like there's no room for me. What I would say to that is a saturated market is good because it means that there's already a really hungry audience. So the fact that there were 5,500 print magazines in Australia already, um, coupled with the fact I didn't really know what I was doing, was actually perfect because it meant that at the time still people were obviously buying print mags. There was a market there. But also because I wasn't trained in that way, I wasn't limited in my thinking. Like I could think about doing it differently. And it was so funny, like in those early years, people would be like, what What do you mean you wrote like a three-page editor's letter? I was like, "What? not that what happens? <laughs> no, <laughs> like it's meant to be two paragraphs. Or I remember um, – when we got into Coles and Woolworths, you know, they both at the time had, I think, about 800 stores each, which was really great distribution. And um, I just was like, I literally, this is how simple it was in a way. I was like, oh, where would we want to be distributed? Oh, I see magazines in Coles and Woolworths. So I just like Googled again, like who's the buyer for Coles, who's the buyer for Woolworths. And I managed to pick up the phone and eventually get meetings because I persisted. That's that passion piece. But then other editors and publishers said to me, what? No, no, no. You can't be in there for at least seven years after you launch. And so that's the beauty of like naivety if you've got some business acumen and smarts is quite good because you're not, if I had have heard that at the start, I might not have ever tried to have a phone call. Whereas because no one told me that, I was like, I'll just pick up the phone. And so I was constantly being surprised and constantly people were saying to me, what, but how did you do that? I was like, I don't know. I asked the question. I didn't know I couldn't do that, you know? Yes. (laughs) I love that so much. And going into it with this, with this idea of just like, well, if I want to be in the stores, don't I just email them and ask them and call them and ask them. I love that so much. And like you were saying, I guess having, not having that pre-idea of what it should be like, that's kind of a limiting belief in a way, because it's not that things can't happen or aren't possible. And I think that's just a great example of of entrepreneurship, really, because that's what it is, isn't it? It's finding ways. Problem solving. Problem solving. (laughs) Yeah, doing things in different ways. Um, Now, I mean, I think it's in such an incredible journey too because it because it escalated so quickly and the success of the collective hub just was so it was fast it was really fast success and so one thing i have heard you talk about before is dealing with the ego in correlation with success and i think this is a really fascinating subject to me because i don't really think i've heard this spoken about particularly between women as well so i'm interested to hear how this sort of has come up for you and how you've dealt with it? Yeah, great question. Um, (laughs) And if anyone wants to watch a real-life example of this, I would highly suggest watching We Crashed on Apple. I've been watching it the last few weeks. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. (laughs) It's, um, It's actually like a perfectly amazing entrepreneurial story at like playing out where ego gets involved. So this is the story of WeWork and, um, you know, it starts with Adam, the founder, like, you know, being so passionate and wanting to change the world and like all of his, um, you know, everything is aligned and it's beautiful until it's not. And suddenly like it's, you know, growing really fast and I mean it's interesting because it's been made into this tv series but it's really a reflection of you know what happened to him and to many others in real life suddenly he starts having some success and you know he's buying the private jets and like everything becomes about the money and the big life and I think that's sometimes can be, or not sometimes, often can be the trappings of fame and success is that it's really important, I think, every single day to remember why you started and what your purpose is. Because mine really is to ignite human potential and to help others, you know, to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. It's really not about me. Um, And I think as soon as, you know, what happens is as you have some success, like, 
you know, I have along the way, people like Richard Branson, I've shared a stage with five times and I've been to Necker Island and blah, 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 all the stuff. But if you let or if I let myself get carried away in the trappings, I could become, quite frankly, a complete wanker and an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) It would become all about me and I would forget completely why I'm doing what I do. So I think it's, um, it's a really cautionary kind of lesson to go, you know, Be careful because when you truly step into your purpose, incredible opportunities beyond your wildest dreams are presented and you, I, need to be very conscious and purposeful about how we show up in those because you see it a lot. It's very well documented, you know. What's the thing they say? Like um, if you, whether you have money or whether you don't have money or whether you have fame or success, like everything's just amplified. So if you're a nice person to start with, chances are if you don't let it go to your head, you'll continue to be a nice, good, decent person with, you know, pure intentions. If you're already a bit of a wanker, well, you're probably just going to become much more of a wanker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really, it's a really interesting topic to talk about. I don't know. It might be implicit in a lot of messaging. We definitely, see it you know and there's examples of people living in different ways but I think to really unpack unpack what happens to the ego when we do experience success because it does happen to us I think we all experience these moments no matter what industry you work in or things that are happening in your life there's definitely moments where good things happen to you and and you can definitely get taken with that and so I really like that advice of really being conscious about why your purpose and why you started things to begin with and I think that's really important to remember and I might just give you um two more different examples one is um when you know the the magazine grew and grew and it I did 54 issues over four years or whatever and then 2017 um it actually became quite difficult and untenable and that's my fault I grew too quickly scaled too fast all that kind of thing but um so I made the courageous decision to close the print mag after 54 issues. Um, spoiler alert, one's coming back, issue 55 in July this year. But, <laughs> <laughs> but my point around that is I think a lot of people, and this is where ego comes in and identity, at that point, and we see this a lot in business, um, you know, something happens, be it through our own fault or, you know, external factors such as COVID or floods or all sorts of other things come at us and the business often is almost at collapse point and sometimes the best thing to do is let it collapse and then as I have done rebuild it in a much stronger way so but when the ego comes in um as it could have with me in 2017 because I had like you know this sexy print mag in 37 countries and all these things happening if I let my ego go, I would have kept it afloat and kept it going. And underneath, I would have been hemorrhaging cash and I would have been unhappy. And I think that's where we need to be able to say, okay, I am strong enough. I believe in myself enough. My identity isn't just this particular mechanism. Um, I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to say that, you know, I messed up a bit and here are the lessons learned. So I think I think that's important to be able to know when to call something. And the second example I'll give is I remember being on stage um, not so long ago and someone calling out from the audience, you know, I want to be like you, I want to be on stage. And I was like, that's interesting because I didn't really consciously choose a life as a speaker or a public life, but it has happened as a result of, you know, having a bit of a story to tell. So I threw the question back to that person and said, why? Because I think if you just want fame and or money for fame and or money's sake, then it's not really going to, you're not going to get it. And if you are, for what? (laughs) Um, You've got to have more depth and you've got to know why you want what you want and how that's going to impact other people and how you're going to have a ripple effect. And then more often than not, the fame and the money comes as a byproduct. So. As yeah. a result of of you doing the thing that, I guess intrinsically is driving you to um to pursue this particular path. I liked what you said there about 
identity too because I think that's part I mean and it can happen in various areas of life not just in business or as an entrepreneur but identifying with something as well and um, making decisions based on that I think like you said can be quite detrimental if you're trying to uphold a certain maybe image or uphold something that you want to present to the world so that's I I find that so interesting to hear from your perspective Um, and I guess tying this into making decisions because obviously as as an entrepreneur, there's many, many decisions that need to be made. And um, I'm I'm so curious to know what your decision-making process is like um, because you are, you know, you're very much into personal development and growth. And I'm interested to know how much do you rely on your intuition and how much do you rely on your logical mind whilst <laughs> you're making your decisions? <laughs> so... I now, and this is going to be different for everyone depending on what stage they're at in life, I would say 97% of me is gut and intuition and 3% is logic. Um, Having said that, I then generally, you know, back that up with sort of data and projections and things so that I don't is we're moving like in rather large quantities of product and money these days <laughs> pretty much um and I do believe that intuition is something that is honed over time and I think intuition largely comes from making a lot of mistakes and then learning and so your gut generally goes and no, that doesn't feel right like you start to learn to feel like mm, yep that's 100% right or no that's off and pretty much much it never fails me and sometimes I'll go oh I'll go against it and I'll be like no no, I'll do that and then I'm like no that just did not work or I'll be like or someone in my team will be like no no no, I think we should do this and I'll be like oh but you know I, I try and be collaborative so I'll go okay and then generally it won't so pretty much it's pretty well honed now um I think and what I'll generally do is make a decision and then I'll say to my team, you know, my <laughs> very strong detailed data oriented people, like does that sort of stack up? Can we make it work? And then I'll be able to kind of, you know, it is a collaborative process and then I'll, if I really believe in something, I'll kind of rebut it and I'll find any way to actually make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, amazing. I mean, that's a very specific um, breakdown of your stats there, 97% intuition and 3% um, logical mind. I think to it's strong now, but I think yeah. if you're starting out, you're probably much more going almost like three percent gut intuition. Like the rest of it is like, what does this add up? You know, yeah. Um, it. I think it is something that we learn over time. Over time, yeah. So in the past, have you had any moments of your intuition telling you something and your logical mind telling you something completely different? And how have you dealt? with that internal difference within yourself? Uh, yeah, often because in, because this is what I would say about that is that often in business in particular, like the intuitive is like something that's very often heart-driven or passionate and, and so many things that we want to do intuitively in business actually aren't necessarily great money-making things. So, you know, it's just like, oh, my God, this feels so good and I really want to do it or it's like super fun and it's just like amazing. So I think that's where my probably the logical mind comes in a bit and goes, yes, but <laughs> like that's not quite going to work. So, But I'd say that plays into kind of the intuitive side as well is that I've kind of learned to hone it by introducing a bit of that logical brain that automatically is inbuilt into the intuitive. Does that make sense? That was a long way yes. of saying it. Yes, it it's totally some, does. Yeah, because there's certain things um, it's hard. It's hard, right? I'm just trying to think what's what's an example. Like I would literally give away every single one of our products. Like and my team are like, stop doing that. Like, <laughs> I mean, I just sent um, on Friday 800 books and journals up to the volunteers who helped, you know, with the floods because I'm just Amazing. like, let's send them all stuff because I love them. So I'm always doing that. Now that's my intuition. Give it all away. But like it's not a very clever way to run a business, right? So <laughs> that's when the bit of, okay, let's just rein that back. Rein it in. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. it's really interesting because it I, obviously it's contextual. So, you know, if we're talking about in the context
context of business, that is a really fascinating way to look at it because I guess, you know, when we talk about intuition and logical mind thinking, um, you know, sometimes the the thought would be, okay, let's just go with your gut. And like you said, it's Mm -hmm. taken you a long time to hone in on that. But you know, obviously when you're starting out or maybe earlier on in your journey, it's something that needs to be teased out and thought through a little bit more and specifically in the context of business where, like you said, it's so true, like you you would like to do things, but obviously from a business perspective, not the smartest idea. So, yeah. And, yeah. and actually I'll give you a recent example um, that just played out last week as well. So I've been wanting to do, no, a cookbook but it's sort of a lifestyle book which is slightly outside of our wheelhouse and I've because I love entertaining and family food friends and things like that and um and so my very strong intuition is like I want to do this and we hips of fun and blah, 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 blah. but um the logical piece came in late last week where my head of content was like well actually because because I've not done that um before like I know how to produce books and I know how to pull together content but then the logical part was well actually you're going to need to get a recipe tester and a food stylist and it's going to cost like um I think it was like a thousand dollars a recipe or something and I wanted to put 60 recipes in so already books at a baseline cost me about 60 grand to produce and I was like that was going to double um the cost of production just right then and so then I was like okay maybe we don't need recipes (laughs) a different type of book so I think that's that's probably an example of where like the intuitive but then the like logical or the data-driven thing is like okay well what's my intuition saying now well actually there's another way to make this work to get across the overarching messaging about what I'm trying to do yeah, um, and just find a different vehicle through which you can kind of carry yeah. maybe a similar message, but maybe not in that particular way. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah. or test and iterate that in a smaller way smaller when it's something completely new to market that we don't know yet if our audience will want. Like, don't put everything into it. <laughs> yeah, hundred so, yeah. percent. Yeah. Now, one of the one of the things I think too that entrepreneurs um, face a lot more, I think, than probably the average person is a is risk and uncertainty. And um, again, I think this is a developed skill as well, um, dealing with increased levels of it. So I'm interested to know how you have cultivated your capacity to deal with risk and uncertainty, because it can often just really um, stop a lot of us from doing anything. It's similar to what we were talking about earlier, but particularly, you know, through business, how have you been able to expand your capacity for dealing with increased levels of it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question and it does play into what we were talking about before. I do believe it is um, a learned skill, not even a learned skill, but it's a learned thing over time because because it's like you test something and you kind of get through it and so then you test it again. You're like, oh, I got through that. And so you keep pushing the boundaries a little bit. Um, And I often use an example because it's one I remember well from when I first started my business and it was around, I don't remember if it was in or out, but I remember the figure and it was an $80 figure. And it was um, someone either owed me $80 or I owed them $80, right? But I remember the feeling, this is in 2001, about kind of freaking out about that amount, right? (laughs) So I'm trying, and it's interesting that I remember that amount and the freak out associated with it um, because I didn't have any, appetite for risk I'd never run a business like at the time that was a lot of money like you know I couldn't afford to lose any money so I remember just having this freak out around that figure now I'm dealing on a daily basis around you know eighty thousand dollars so it's it's different 20 plus years later and now I don't really flinch at an 80 like if someone owed me eighty thousand dollars or I owe someone eighty thousand I hardly even flinch I just it's just not even a thing um and that is because now I've learned to take risk and I'm, I've got all the right people in place. So I, you know, there's like my bookkeepers and accountants and, um, you know, chief financial officer and like the data is well honed. And also um, I've got it to that point where I'm moving a lot in and a lot out. We just worked out um, last week we've sold the figure was 4,177,000 books, I think. Or Amazing. <laughs> Not books, products over products, the years. Yeah. Um, and 
so when you're moving that much volume now, and I and I said like most books, you know, it's a minimum of 60 grand, I've kind of learned over the years, I'm moving a lot of inventory and a lot of money in and out. And so I the only way that I can continue to function and not like peel myself off the bathroom floor every day, every day <laughs> is to be, to have the systems and processes in place to kind of go, okay, I got this. So I do think um, we learn to be resilient and tenacious and we our appetite for risk, you know, naturally as we grow and expand is pushed. And um, wherever anyone who's listening is at their stage, whether you're at the $80 stage or the $80,000 stage or the $800,000, whatever it is, nothing is right or wrong. I do believe it's just a learned thing. So, yeah, you just got to get more and more comfortable with it and I'm going to add something to that, which is around maintaining your feminine energy, something really important for me. I know I'm going off on a little tangent. No, I love this tangent already. <laughs> <laughs> but it's easy when, you're, um, when you become, you know, risk adverse and you're pushing boundaries and limits every single day. I would say, and I've learned this the hard way, do not let yourself stay too long in that masculine I don't care like you know it slides off me like Teflon I'm so freaking tough and wah. because when we're in that it's not a good space to stay in I have learned for multiple reasons over the years for a long period of time a um burnout b like it's really hard to maintain and I feel like we really do need that nurturing grounding come back to earth have a reality check you know that plays into what we're talking about about ego and identity and a whole lot of other stuff so just be careful as well where you let yourself go when you become very risk adverse Mm, I'm so like I'm so glad you brought that up actually the, the idea about feminine energy because I think as well as entrepreneurs in business business the business world has been predominantly historically set up as a very masculine space and dominated very much by male businessmen or entrepreneurs. And so can we talk a little bit more about the differences between masculine energy and feminine energy? I think just for people listening who may not have really heard this kind of concept before of what the difference is um, as to let's, let's talk about it in reference to how you've been able to balance that throughout your journey, because I think it's like you said, it's a very important topic for women, especially to really understand what we can bring that is unique to being a woman. Mm. And conversely, just to throw a complete spanner in the works, I think the beautiful thing about now is that a lot of, um, you know, traditional men are also bringing a lot of their feminine and becoming much more in touch with their feelings and emotions and all of that kind of thing. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, traditionally there was a, a lot of women who felt that they had to kind of go bang their fist on the desk and like, you know, rah, and try and meet a lot of that really masculine energy in order to be relevant and, you know, hold themselves in that room. And in fact, I found the complete opposite to be true. You know, when we bring um, our personalities and um, the warmth and the nurturing and the ability to problem solve and listen, um, you know, and to, you know, just have that empathy and, you know, all of the beautiful things about the female and the feminine, when we can bring that into a business situation whilst remaining, you know, strong and, you know, warrior and phoenix and all of those things, it's this is a really powerful, beautiful thing at play. And I just, I don't want people to feel like they need to lose, again, identity, you know, and go down this path of I can only win if I'm being like a complete asshole and it's all about my ego and I'm just going to fist pump and like everything else. I just think there's a beautiful, um, you know, meeting and opportunity to bring all of you holistically to the table. And it's really important that um, we're able to let all that wash away and, you know, go home and just have a beautiful bath or like dance around our living room mood or in our flowy, whatever we want to do and just really earth ourselves as well. And I've certainly learned over the years that I kind of pendulate between being 
um, like extroverted and like, yeah, I'll bring it all and I'll bring all of this energy. The only way I can do that is actually by surrendering more into my feminine and, my, and also my feminine slash for me, like more introverted, quiet, still, um, kind of me time, nurturing time. I, it's just impossible to carry that big energy all the time. And I've kind of covered their masculine, feminine, and, um, you know, a few other things which aren't necessarily that which is around introvert, extrovert, and how people kind of display different traits. Yeah, be unafraid to bring all of you, however that is, in all its grit and in all its glory, I think. <laughs> yes, I love that. Just be authentically you, I think, is is the point of it. And yeah. um, not feel like you have to be one way or the other or to, to succeed, essentially. Yeah, and I yeah. think um, that is definitely something about, you know, 2022 and beyond is the fluidity of how we show up. And I think that is a beautiful thing that's, you know, being shown by so many different people from all sorts of areas and aspects of life now. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to see what's happening and, and just the evolution of everything now that, you know, well, we're post-COVID, so that, that's, a, that's a huge plus to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I so freeing um so just kind of coming back to I guess being risk adverse and dealing with adversity and uncertainty and all of these kinds of things I I mean I imagine that that obviously carries into other areas of your life as well so both vice versa where you can take what you've learned in the entrepreneurial space into your life but also things from your personal life transferring into your life as an entrepreneur can you think of any big moments of uncertainty that have happened in your life your personal life that what you have experienced and learnt from being an entrepreneur has really helped you with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like in business now, not much um, phases me. Like I feel like there's little that I haven't <laughs> experienced. But at the moment, my personal life is quite... Um, it's yeah it's there's a lot of flux at the moment so it's really testing me so um I actually said on social media recently that we've just done 16 rounds of IVF so that that is oh a, my gosh I think I must be holding some kind of record for the person trying to have the baby <laughs> like it's actually kind of ridiculous so there's a lot that we can't control in our life right and it's it's kind of frustrating and a little unnerving and unhinging and you know all of the unknowns around that and so again I think when I think about that journey it's very much like um people who are listening may have gone through it may not have gone through it but it's kind of like you kind of do this you know cycle and then they put an embryo into you and then for two weeks pretty much can't exercise or do anything. So it's this constant and then it's this waiting period. And for someone like me who does like routine and exercise is super important to me, that kind of keeps me going. Like every day, you know, I do my meditation, my journaling and some form of exercise every morning. And so for 16 times for two-week periods, I've not been able to do that. <laughs> and it's this whole waiting thing which plays into both my mental in terms of, uh, is it going to work? And my physical in terms of, ah, I can't do the thing that actually is one of my big releases. Um, so that's been tricky and not always easy to kind of, you know, do. But the entrepreneurial piece, I think, plays in because I kind of, I literally find out, you know, which I've done now 16 times, no, you're not pregnant this time. So like for the first hour, I'm like, this is horrible. And then I'm like, okay, she's back. <laughs> I, I kind of let myself feel it. But also, again, I can't sit in that space or I don't choose to sit in that space of like misery for too long because I just... I've taught myself to not. I mean, I'm all about feeling things and being in the moment um, and other things. If I hadn't been through it so many times, I might sit with it for, you know, a week. And I probably did for the first five, ten times. But now I'm like, okay, lift. You know, what are the skills that I've learned? How do I apply this? How do I, how do I let myself feel into that and feel upset about it? But also how do I continue on? Because otherwise, again, I would be permanently you know, catatonic, unable to move because I've been so disappointed. So I think, again, I've learned to lean into, okay, that didn't happen. I can't control it. So what can I do? Well, I can, you know, adjust. Yeah, I can exercise again. Great. So I try and, you know, put the spin on the positives and move forward. 
Yeah, I really love that. I, I That's incredible that many rounds that you've gone through. But I feel like, like you said, going through everything you've gone through in business is obviously so helpful in this situation. And I like what you said there about being able to sit with the feelings, feel the feelings, but then also making a conscious decision to shift out of that. Because I know, like you said, yes, it can, it's, it's so important to feel the feelings, but also not to sit there and just sit in this space and do nothing, you know, and sort of just feel like, woe is me and what, 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 I can't do anything. Yes, you can't do anything, but now, okay, cool. Let's, um, what can we do next? So I really, I really do like that. Thank you. And I think, again, that is probably a learned thing because I would highly recommend to people, I mean, I've just like, again, circumnavigated some of that because I've been through that particular scenario so many times. But I think feeling feelings is really important because oftentimes in society, we, you know, quash these things down and having been through addiction, you know, and alcoholism myself, 17 and a half years ago, um, I know that that was largely a result of me not letting myself feel and so I ended up using alcohol as a crutch and it came out sideways as soon as I started feeling oh what's the root cause of that what are the triggers what's the trauma associated with that oh that's why I was drinking like that oh okay well let's just deal with the actual problem (laughs) and sit with that and work through that oh okay alcohol removed like so yeah I think it's important that we don't squash those things down because at some point they will come out sideways yeah, 100%. It, it's, um, and, it, and we all deal with those things differently. There's different, obviously, behaviours that uh, we either, you know, it's learned behaviours from other things that we see. Um, but to, yeah, I like that, to, to look into what the root cause is and, and allow yourself to go there and, and heal whatever is underneath all of that. So mm. I just feel like you've, you, your journey has been so incredible. There's been so many things. Um, and, I mean, I feel like, I wonder if you would find that there is any big, biggest challenges that you've faced, but I, I want to ask the question anyway. What, what has been the biggest challenge you have faced along the Collective Hub journey so far and what have you learnt from it? <laughs> so many, right? You fly close to the fire, you're going to get burned. So, <laughs> I, I mean, definitely the biggest challenge um oh my god well the biggest challenge was like growing something when I knew nothing about it firstly um but you know I learned how to grow a big global business so yay tick the second big part though um which was harder because and also I would say a bigger learning was when it nearly went under in 2017 because I scaled too quickly. I didn't have the right systems and processes in place. I didn't have the data-orientated sort of detail implementers around me to supplement my weaknesses. And so I nearly lost everything, So, um, which was interesting, you know, given I'd done so much personal development, I'd been in business a long time by that stage, and I still nearly lost everything. Um, it was horrible, <laughs> I was about to say, but it was horrible, 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 but it was also, you know, amazing, amazing, amazing because I just took so many freaking lessons from that, like about how to actually scale properly in a sustainable way for longevity and how to kind of um, build multiple revenue streams and future-proof the business. So it was an excruciating lesson, um, particularly when the brand was doing so well, but underneath, you know, under the hood I was hemorrhaging cash and it was a shit show. <laughs> but, um, but I wouldn't change any of it because that has really that is the thing that has helped me to grow and that is the thing that helped me to write you know start up to scale up my latest book because every single lesson that I have learned over 20 years is in there pretty much. Yeah I'm so glad that you brought that up because again like you said it's an interesting process because I think obviously a lot of entrepreneurs start businesses and then there's this period of time from when they are a startup to obviously scaling to a much larger business and like you said your your latest book Startup to Scale Up details all of these things. I guess during that scaling process because let's talk about that a little bit more because also you'd spoken about when Collective Hub really started, I remember, I've, I've heard you say somewhere, it started with like three staff and, and yeah. went to 34 in just a few months. So can you speak a little bit more about that 
I mean, because that was that right at the beginning, even. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not, not, <laughs> not even, not even at the point where you were going to. It was all going to go under. So there's been multiple times through the business where you have scaled. Tell me a little bit more about that because that that was quite big too, right? Yeah, so here, here is what I would say about that. Don't do it. <laughs> no, okay, so I'll unpack that for you a little bit and I'll talk a bit about how my business is structured now because that's probably the most useful thing. So the three staff um, that, so prior to starting Collective Hub, I'd never like that was 11 years of really only ever having three staff. And I used to be embarrassed when people would say, how many staff have you got? I'd be like three. And I was always making excuses because I feel like there was, you know, somehow success was measured by how many staff you had and how big your offices were, right? And now it's completely different. So um, when I truly stepped into my purpose in 2013, it was like I could have thrown another 300 staff at it. Like I just was like, I'm going to grow. Let's go faster. Let's go faster. What's interesting about the 34 staff, and that was $3.5 million in salaries and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, only three people within that 34 were actually writers. So I had a global content business, but only three people wrote. So everyone else who wrote, like for the magazine, the website, social media, were all freelancers. We had a huge freelance base on top of that. And also what's interesting is that, and all these people are still with me to this day, my IT guy, Kevin, has been with me, I think, about 14 years. He was never um, one of the full-time 34 staff. So he's always been a contractor. Jody, who looks after all of my global logistics and distribution, has been with me nine years now. She was never a full-time staffer. Kate, um, my CFO, has been with me 14 or 15 years, was never one of the 34. So I could go on and on and on and on. So what I realised was so many of my core team were already contractors or freelancers. And so now what I ended up doing was decentralising everyone. Now everyone works from anywhere. There's a book I wrote called Work From Wherever. I write a book about everything I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now we kind of have the most extraordinary team, but they're all over the world. So it's like we, we don't have to rely on the best talent on the globe being within 20 kilometres of our Surrey Hills office, we now have people that work, you know, all over the place and they have the flexibility to work when they want and how they want. And it's no longer about time in office and bums on seats. It's around productivity. And so if people want to do yoga in the middle of the day or pick up their kids from school or however that works for them, as long as they get the job done, then I'm okay with that. And I just, after 17 years of having a physical bricks and mortar office, I love that this is the way we work now. Yeah, it's so cool. And I think, I mean, I, I think COVID has helped us do that a little bit more and it's normalised that whole idea because now instead of people thinking, oh, it just, you know, it depends on how big your office size is and how many staff you have, it's so normal just to have a remote business and it's effective and efficient and people still are just as productive, if not more, being able to go and do things that they that will help their mental health as well during the day. So I really love that. And I was commenting about your lovely, bright... Um, room that you're sitting in at the moment. And um, so we got to talking about that just before we hit record. But I think it's so cool just kind of seeing the iterations of the Collective Hub over the years and how it's still, I mean, it's a multi-platform business. You're able to serve so many people across different platforms and which is amazing, you know, and, and it's really grown from what it was originally as just the print magazine, which um, which is so cool to see. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's it's certainly getting very big and very global again, but in a much easier, more fun, efficient, productive, profitable way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so one of the things that I like to talk to all my guests about is rejection and failure, which we have touched on already a little bit, but I am very curious to know what has been your biggest or most notable rejection or failure and what have you learned from it? In business or life? In anything you like. It could be business, <laughs> it could be life. <laughs> oh, I've had a lot. I mean, I've had a lot of failures and a lot of rejections. Um, where do we even start? What's um, the biggest one that kind of springs to mind? That one was, that really sticks out in my mind. Um, so 
Maybe I'll talk about a personal one because I've not talked about this anywhere. Um, so in 2015, just as the mag, I mean, that was at like peak mag. Everything was growing. Um, you know, I'd just been to New York with Anna Winter and neck around with Richard Branson. And like my life was amazing. So I'd written my first book in the series called Daring and Disruptive, was all, which was all about the business journey and how to enter a highly saturated market and all that kind of thing. Um, and then I wrote a book called Life and Love because my <laughs> business was great and everyone was saying, oh, my gosh, tell me everything that goes on behind the scenes. And what happened was um, I had just got engaged, not the current fiancé, different one, <laughs> and um, and he had turned up um, at the shoot when I was doing the shoot for the cover and the book and he had proposed on that day. So the photographer was there and everything. And so stupidly, take a lesson out of my book, <laughs> I put this chapter in the back of the book, oh, my gosh, and then as if my life couldn't get any better, then he proposed. Anyway, the book came out and it went to number one on Booktopia within three days and on day four he came home and said, I can't do this anymore, I need to go. <laughs> I was like, what? what? <laughs> so it was horrible um your face says it all <laughs> oh, no I'm like oh my gosh yeah oh my goodness I so can't it was even very um very very public and I was in the middle of doing sort of tv and you know promotion and people and because the book had ended with this amazing chapter about the proposal of course everyone's first question on every single interview was oh my gosh that's amazing you're engaged and I was thinking I don't know where the guy is. <laughs> so he's just gone. Um, the lesson around that, it's going to have a nice ending, don't worry, um, is that <laughs> I, I then wrote a book called Breakups and Breakthroughs, which is a very good book about because <laughs> I had to book it, that first book, right? Um, it took six and a half years and I've, as I said, I've been engaged and I've been with someone else for five and a half years. It took six and a half years of me feeling horribly rejected, never seeing him again, never speaking to him and having all this kind of, not that I'm an um, angry person, but I had all this resentment and sort of hate and vindictiveness festering inside me. And my current fiancé kept saying, you should reach out to him and just, you know, put it to bed. And I reached out to him about six months ago and it was so funny because he basically said, oh, my God, I've always loved you and blah, blah, blah. all this stuff came out, like, which was quite beautiful and shocking for me. And we managed to have very mature, extraordinary conversations. And it just, um, and they were kind of friends, which sounds so bizarre. The learning from that is in life. For six and a half years, I carried around so much of this heaviness and this vindictiveness and this anger and this hurt and it's really heavy and then like I finally and it took me so much courage which is kind of ridiculous I was so fearful of reaching out and I reached out and he was like I've missed you I've always loved you and I was like oh okay <laughs> and so I've really reflected more not so much about that relationship but about life and how often we keep ourselves small or afraid or fearful because we're afraid to have a conversation and we're afraid to speak our truth. When I actually confronted him six and a half years later and said that wasn't okay and then we had this amazing healing and I don't know I just feel like you know if people in life lived more out of love than fear then that would break down you know a lot of unnecessary boundaries mm. I I can't even believe that uh, <laughs> that story of yours was I feel like horrible. I I can't even imagine to be going through really like the height of your success mm. really for the collective hub and your you know first book I do remember that book coming out um and and your your relationship was very public at the time I do remember too um to go through that is quite incredible but I'm so pleased to hear that that has just happened recently that you've been able to kind of yeah. find that. Find so that I, haven't talk, I haven't talked about that with anyone other than him and my current amazing fiance. But um, but it so yeah, but it is ex extraordinary how we can keep ourselves fearful and small. And actually, when we find our voice and we speak our truth, it can heal 
amazing things. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's the, that's the greatest lesson I feel like we all can take from that is to, to find our voice, speak our truth and, and just be authentic. And, and Mm -hmm. that will do wonders. I feel now the, the final question I have for you is if you had an overarching life philosophy or mantra that you try to live your life by, what would that be? Anything's possible. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is my, yeah, that's kind of my thing. Anything's possible. And I think this is, I mean, this ties in with your whole purpose as well. And this part of your purpose is, is anything's possible. I love it. It's such a yeah. positive and opening kind of statement. It makes you feel so, so yeah, like you could just take on the world, anything that you can do. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's been such an amazing chat. Honestly, I feel like, I mean, it's been so great to witness what's happened with Collective Hub and and all the iterations. I honestly, um, and I've, you know, been a a huge fan of your work for such a long time. So I'm so grateful that we've been able to sit down and and chat and get stuck into all of these amazing topics. Well, thank you, Rachel. (laughs) I feel like you're, I'm cutting you off, but I want to acknowledge you before you wrap up because um, I feel like you're an exceptional interviewer and you just like, it's, it's just like having a beautiful conversation on the couch with a great girlfriend and yeah, you do it with such um, ease and grace and make it so, such a pleasure to be here. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's so lovely. I'm so, so um, grateful for those comments. That means so much. So I think what would be helpful for people is to know where to find you and all your amazing work. So where can people find you and your books and the collective hub and all of your amazing work? Um, so Instagram or any social is Lisa Messenger and collective hub, two separate handles. And then um, collectivehub.com, all of our books, journals, everything, or any good bookstore or many, many different stores. And I think um, my team, gave your wonderful listeners a code, yeah, to have 20% off anything. So, yes. So, firstly, your latest book, Startup to Scale Up, with um, with you, we're going to drop that in the link. So, that's Lisa's latest book. Make sure you grab that. Yes, the code, you can grab this code, guys, and use this to purchase any of the books. It's Active 20 So, it's nice yeah. and easy to remember. We'll pop that in the show notes as well. So, make sure that you grab that um, code and grab Lisa's great, amazing books. And there's lots of different things aside from books too. So, you can have a look at all the amazing products um, that Collective Hub have got on there. But thank you guys for listening. Tell us what you loved and learned from this episode by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you screenshot this, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Lisa. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rach Active Podcast.